بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته A warm welcome to this week's edition of the program and this is part two in our series on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his teaching methods Last week's program was fascinating We learned about how Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used the tradition of learning through oral means the memorization tools to share information share his teachings with the Sahaba and most importantly to transmit the Quran. We also understood more about the role that memorization played in preserving the Quran during the time of Nabi Muhammad Our entire discussion began with understanding how Rasulullah embodied the teachings of Islam through his own behavior and actions. And our guest shared with us amazing tools, powerful, effective tools on how we as parents can support our children, our primary school going children's madrasa journey for this year. If you missed part one of the series, you can always play back to the uh, podcast. It's up on the website and you can play it, check in on that first and come back to this. But the topics are not necessarily linked directly. So you could continue listening to this and then play back to part one later on. Our guest today is the esteemed Mu'allima Masouda Jappi, a coach, educator, on-air personality and student of Deen. And she has this beautiful, amazing gift, mashallah, of making Islamic history and seerah come alive. And such an honor to have her joining us today again as we continue this journey, learning more about Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam through his teaching methods, subhanallah. Wa'alima Mas'uda, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakumullah khairan for having me, Hafi Darihana. It is always a pleasure joining yourself and the listeners. Alhamdulillah, jazakumullah khair. The honor is always truly very grateful, alhamdulillah. I would like us maybe if we can pick up from where we left off in the last program, the first installment of the series. And if we can now look into the ways that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught his companions. And if we could focus on one aspect, and that is the storytelling and then the parables. How did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam use this concept to teach and educate his Sahaba, please? I want to begin by saying it is so important if we look at the reasoning why storytelling is so um, is so effective, right? So we're looking at the psychological effects firstly before I get into the Prophet Wasallam's method, if that's okay. So storytelling is the wonderful way that, you know, the terbiyah, which is your development and your training of people, not necessarily just our children, uh, in various aspects is, right? And as we know, we look at the fact that any type of story, any type of um, journey that you are learning through different type of life other than your own gives you this effect on your soul where you, you can arise to lessons and conclusions that you might not have thought of before. So it gives you this beautiful um, manner in which you can reflect, which might be different. It 
takes you out of your own prejudices and biases and puts in a different perspective for yourself alhamdulillah so we look at you know the the fact that ultimately it is used to to ensure that we have the psychological significance and that developmental potential of investigating rediscovering as well as trying to be able to reapply or up apply a new um, lesson that we've learned and ultimately it activates the right side of your brain which based Basically, uh, what it does is that it provides you context, the essential function of putting together different components of experience into meaningful patterns. And the left side provides the text or the components such as the words or the elements of an illustration. So this basically helps us be more flexible in dealing with uh, the world around us because now we have the tangible, right? We have the context as well as the text that can help us then navigate multiple layers, uh, giving us wisdom or rather providing us with that wisdom uh, over time so that we can respond to things that we go through in life or what others are going through in a better light. Now, having said this and understood that, I want to share an example with what the Prophet ﷺ had done to um, a group of, of Sahaba who had come through to Medina, right? So it was the middle, uh, it was midday in Medina, and we can imagine how hot it would have been. It is the, the desert, uh, no air conditioning, shall we say, right? So as always, the Sahaba would gather in Masjid al-Nabawi, and they were waiting for Salah. They were waiting for the Dhuhr Salah. So this was midday. This was scorching hot. Um, people would be thirsty at this point. And just as then, they were as they were waiting, there had come some people who were barefooted. So if you were barefoot in that time, remember, you would not have had uh, sufficient wealth or so you would be more of those who were less fortunate, shall I say, those who were poor, because you wouldn't have anything to cover your feet uh, against the harshness of the desert sand. And they didn't have straight clothes. They were wearing coarse woolen clothes. It was understood that just by the way that they behaved, that these men who belonged to the tribe of Mudar were very needy. And the Prophet ﷺ had seen the situation, and his face suddenly changed. Was, uh, and after the Salah, Nabi ﷺ gave a speech to the Sahaba, and he spoke to them. And he first read the 18th uh, ayah of Surah Hashr, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, O oh, the believers, beware of Allah, and everyone should take what, uh, and take, everyone should look at what they have prepared for tomorrow. And he, com he called the Sahaba to help those people by saying to them to help needy people by giving sadaqah from what they had, even if it was half a date. And everyone brought something from what they had, and it occurred that two big heaps of eatables and clothes had come to the masjid because of this. And the Prophet ﷺ, whose face was shining in the face of this, uh, he viewed the importance of cooperation and guiding the Sahaba by saying that whosoever sets a good precedent takes thawab of both that which they have done and those of the followers of him. So whoever sets an evil precedent takes the sin for both himself and herself and the followers of yeah. him or her. Now, if we're taking a look at this example, here the Prophet ﷺ raised consciousness on the Sahaba um, about the topic by referring to the Qur'an. So he would utilize these instances where we look at taking taking a look at something that had happened and knowing that they were in need he brought that to their attention another form of, of storytelling here where the prophet would as we said is the embodiment or he was the embodiment of the quran so everything that he had learned or, or taught us was from the quran as taught to him by the by, by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um through jibreel 
Salam. So we're looking at, for example, in Surah Yusuf, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this is the best of stories. So as we know that the Prophet wasallam is teaching the Sahaba, he would have taught them the best of stories, right? So he would tell them about the, Sahaba, the, 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 the Prophet Yusuf wasallam and that which is important for us to know. And he would revise and go over uh, talking about, uh, about his life, about the Prophet Musa wasallam and Harun wasallam as well as Fir'aun. Because these are things that we have to have understood that the 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 people in Medina were not only just Arabs, right? They were also the Jews in, in, in Medina as well. And they would also come and listen to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. A lot of the stories of the uh, of Prophet Musa Alaihi Wasallam in the Quran, uh, I mean, is in the Quran. And as we know, he's the Prophet that is mentioned the most in the Quran. If you're looking at the, the understanding of that, the lessons that we have to learn, if you're looking at how Allah had blessed the Bani Israel, how Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala had tested them, how they had disobeyed Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, all of that were lessons so that the Sahaba could take those lessons and implement them. So they had the context as well as the text of how to be able to uh, use it either as a guidance or use it as a deterrent of what not to do. So there is so much of benefit when we're talking about the, um, the way in which he had spoken or stories, uh, told stories, right? Um, the, 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 for example, there were there are certain ahadith that is mentioned where the Prophet وسلم, would bring light uh, a story to light where shows us an action or a good deed that would be would be revered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For instance, the hadith which talks about the man who was very thirsty during a journey and he went down the well and he drank water. And when he climbed out he saw a dog eating the dust of out of thirst and he knew how thirsty he felt so he felt pity for this for this dog and he went back down into the well which he didn't need to do but out of the ihsan and the goodness in his heart he filled his shoe with water and he gave it to the dog and Allah whose mercy is infinite forgave the sins because of that act so by this type of storytelling we see an action that Allah loves so Allah loves mercy how can I then translate this type of mercy into the my interactions with Allah's creation and here it could be creation as in insan, or it could be creation as in the animals that we have, whether it be our pets, whether it be animals in general. So there's lots of that that we have to then reflect upon. Um, another form, uh, also falls under the bracket of, of, of storytelling here, would be giving examples of techniques. Um, we had spoken about this one last week, but a, a reminder is good for those who believe, right? Alhamdulillah. So the Prophet wasallam said that if there was a river by the door of one of you and you bathe in it five times a day, do you think that there would be any dirt that remains on him? And the Sahaba had then said no dirt would remain on him. So by making that type of comparison, by giving examples of good deeds, uh, here we understand that he would ask them questions, and um, they would not be passive. They would they would answer him as well. They would they would give some sort of understanding. And if they did not know, then they would say Allah and His Rasul knows best. And lastly, the Prophet also under the under the branch of storytelling we look at comparisons where he would tell by making comparisons in order to both actualize more active and permanent learning and set a more enjoyable learning teaching environment for example by saying where the Prophet said the hand which gives is better than the hand which wants and takes so he compared the hand which gives sadaqah and the one which takes it and emphasized the importance of giving sadaqah so we, we look at this and we can understand that 
even through the comparison method, this is something that we can then do. Or maybe we do it and we don't understand that this is a teaching method that the Prophet had utilized, alhamdulillah. And then there's so much that we can ultimately see, you know, um, with regards to the khair and the barakah of, of, of telling a story or sharing a story in, in some form or the other. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. I think it makes us just revisit and ask ourselves whether as parents or educators, um, if we are using these mediums to connect with our children, our students. And I think what happens very often is uh, we often say, oh, there's, there's just not enough time or uh, there's some excuse or the other. But really, this is the way to capture the hearts and to connect and to engage. Talk me about that. There's sometimes topics that are, or, or approaches that are in some communities still seen as taboo. Like, don't go down that road. Um, and in some communities, or maybe even just some family systems, asking questions is regarded as rude or being low in iman or low in faith. And I'm wondering if you can take us down that route um, to, to understand how did Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu uh, handle this? You know, did he encourage the Sahaba to ask questions or was it just questions that came from them? Um, and, and then when they did ask these questions, how did he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, respond to their questions? SubhanAllah. So the question and answer method uh, was one that stands out of one of the most used methods in the ahadith that the Prophet ﷺ used. So it was seen as an example of the companions that would, they would ask questions to the Prophet ﷺ and about various subjects that they wanted to learn. And he would encourage them to ask questions with sayings like, for example, knowledge is treasure, its, the, uh, it's key is question. Uh, another saying of the Prophet ﷺ, cure of ignorance is to ask. Uh, another one would be, be together with scholars, spend time with them, ask people who know, be a friend with people who know. And lastly, good question is half of knowledge. So if we take a look at these of the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, we would understand that we would find um, such goodness from from asking and we would not have the the laws and the understanding of the world around us if the Sahaba had not asked any questions I even look at for example the um, the wife of uh, Hazrat Musa bin Umayr her name is, is, escapes me at this point in time Ya Rabbi it's going to come back to me but because of her we have many ahadith regarding the rulings with regards to Hayd and um, we we would look at that as being if she had not asked we would not have known and this is and, and this is in particular you know with regards to the the type of 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 difficulties that she experienced with regards to uh, uh, being an istihada, being being one who had bled for so many days, Ya Rabbi, Allah, make it easy. I'm, I'm thinking what we go through in today's day and age, and it's difficult. Imagine what it must have been like at that time. So the, the fear that you would not be making your salah and praying and, and reading Quran, but you are in a state of impurity, but it goes beyond what we were taught. Now what do I do? So this is, is so encouraged for uh, for all these Sahaba, whether they were women as well as men, to come to the Prophet ﷺ. And I want to enforce this 
was that it wasn't just only the Sahaba. There were Sahabias as well would come to the Prophet وسلم, and ask questions. They would come and tell the Prophet وسلم, and ask him his advice. They would come to him and, uh, for example, if you're looking at Surah Mujadala, um, uh, the Sahaba, Sahabia had come to the Prophet وسلم, and in the, in the ayah of Quran, when she comes to the Prophet وسلم, Allah refers to her as the one whom Allah has heard, right? So that means in, in lots of aspects with regards to, besides the issue that had been brought up in that surah, I, I do encourage you to go and read it um, and, and do some research with regards to the tafsir to all our listeners. It's something that I know we're going to segue somewhere else, but it is important that we understand that she had come to the Prophet wasallam. She didn't leave it. She didn't have, she had a problem with her husband and it wasn't something that she kept quiet about. She needed advice and yes to be able to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would have been able to give her an answer so she went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so we see that people had come women had come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam they had asked their questions and and he had answered them and it was said that the women of the Ansar were those who were you know the the best seekers and the ones who asked the best questions and the most questions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and if we look at this type of questioning it is important Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran um and instructs us in the Quran to reflect. So if we're reflecting, are we not then asking a few questions, checking what we know? And if we don't understand something, are we going to out, go out there and learn more, right? So that's the whole purpose of of, of trying to be able to uh, get the Sahaba to ask questions or to uh, allow them to ask a question, even if, for example, they consider it to be something that is insignificant. The Prophet ﷺ had answered it in any case. They were never made or belittled in any way or form with regards to the kind of subject matter. And it could be the smallest of subjects um, uh, or the ones that we would deem as insignificant. But it was all about that, the smallest of things. Imagine having to sit with the Prophet ﷺ and he's saying, eat with the right hand and eat that which is in front of you. In any other text um, a religious text for that matter and we're not looking at the Quran and the, and the Sunnah here and the Hadith here we look at the instruction has come to eat that which is in front of you that means there's so much that goes into understanding that the Prophet ﷺ would have explained fully that that which is in front of you is in front of you because they would share from a massive plate or a, 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 a serving dish where they would all sit together and eat together. If you're reaching across, it would seem disrespectful because so, you're not eating that which is in front of you, right? So there's so much of, of, of etiquette that you are learning, um, I'm going to say by the way, by the question and answering. And that is something that we have to understand that the Prophet ﷺ, he knew better, yet he would still even ask this way. He would ask the Sahaba a question, and and sometimes they would have a reply, and if they didn't, then he would give them the correct answer. And uh, out of humility, many a times they would say, Allah and his Rasul knows best, for they knew that the lesson would come. They knew that there was something they had to learn. And this is the beauty part about asking questions. Uh, in the time of the Prophet it was never viewed as something that was, um, you know, you, you being foolish or you unlearned for that matter. The one who asked the most, Alhamdulillah, will then definitely be um, uh, the one who receives the answer, right? So Alhamdulillah, hopefully, this is something that we can implement by asking by not just sitting uh when you when you're sitting in the company of those who know more ask what is what it is that's not that that is that is concerning you or rather troubling you for that matter and hopefully inshallah you will receive the guidance that you need inshallah i mean 
Amin, Ya Rabb. Amin, Ya Rabb. Um, I think that was so important because for many parents who may feel uncomfortable or awkward uh, that their children ask questions, but I think this was so reassuring, definitely. Jazakillah khair for that. We come back to the teachings of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and I'm curious to learn from you how have the teachings, the teaching methods of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam influenced Islamic education throughout history? So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's teaching strategies, strategies in influenced um, Islamic education profoundly. So if you look at the manner in which a majority of our Madaris con- conduct lessons, you know, they would be oratory lessons for that matter uh, with regards to the way in which we memorize the Quran. So he, the employing of analogies and demonstrations and storytelling and encouraging questions, this was how the Prophet ﷺ established this effective methods that was used to uh, spread Islam in his day and age with regards to the Sahaba. And it was effective, right? It wasn't that the Sahaba didn't know or they didn't know sufficiently. I want to share something with, with all our listeners and this is a reminder for each and every one of us is that uh, with especially with regards to Islamic education um, the Sahaba had viewed it not as a race it was never they would compete with each other in good deeds like Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and Umar radiallahu anhu would, would vie with each other with regards to uh, accomplishing that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with good deeds but it was never a competition with regards to who did what more with regards to education wise right or learning more and I, and I say this because the Sahaba would sit and learn from the Prophet wasallam 10 ayah of the Quran. And until they have learned it, understood it, and implemented it within their life, they did not learn more beyond that. And I... I would I would then reflect upon why they would do this. This would be then because of the uh, the fact that they would have to live the Quran the way the Prophet ﷺ had done so. So if you're looking at the way in which the Prophet ﷺ's methodologies were so impactful, the way in which they were impactful was because it wasn't just a entire book that needed to be completed or a syllabus that needed to be completed within a year or within five years or within seven years for that matter. There's learning from the day that we open up, our, the day we are born, right up until the day that we close our eyes. And this is something that we have to remember with regards to uh, Islamic education for ourselves. It hasn't stopped when we left Madrasa. It hasn't stopped after our children uh, have left, you know, have left Madrasa and they now completely out of school. It is a journey that we are on every single day. And this is where we look at... I'm looking at the amount of resources that we currently have in the world today. COVID had put a lot of things in perspective with regards to distance learning for that matter. And we learned to connect with each other, alhamdulillah, through e-platforms, right? So online platforms, alhamdulillah, they are a plenty. There's so many different resources. But I feel because there are so many, we feel drowned out or we feel unsure of where to start. And I'm going to say you are not in competition with anybody besides yourself. So let's take a look at the the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam where we learn that إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ right? So verily, um, intentions are judged by, our actions are judged by the intentions. So let us try to be able to then implement making an intention for everything that we do. And once we've done that, now we've implemented a hadith. Not only have we committed it to memory, but we have now reinforced its meaning within our life. It's manifesting within who we are. So this is why it 
the only way in which we can then truly um, look at the way in which the Prophet Sallallahu influence on education in general, it was not just about consuming knowledge. And the word here, consuming, means uh, we are reading books upon books or being part of this course and that course. How much have we implemented? And that is the key. So when we're looking at this, implement that hadith first, and then after that, let's move on to the next one. I spoke to a, a, a fellow uh, student who is also uh, completing her hifd and we had a beautiful discussion with regards to it. And uh, one of the ways in which she spoke about was the struggle that she had uh, keeping the ayah in, 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 in order. So she wouldn't, she would, she'd have memorized it. She knows the ayah, but remembering the order sometimes would, would get her out of, like it would catch her off guard sometimes, and she would make this constant mistake. And she learned something along the way, which was something so beautiful. And alhamdulillah, to a certain extent, I have been doing it, but not the way she did it, she did it because hers was really something quite intense where she would dedicate at least an hour every single day. And she would sit with her, with her teacher, or um, a teacher guided her with regards to what resources to for her to use so that she could learn ayah by ayah as in word for word what they actually what it actually means um, and this is something so beautiful because for, for myself and many people Arabic is not our mother tongue which makes it so difficult for us to just um, read in Arabic in our minds or reading aloud in Arabic and understanding exactly what is being said unless we've put in the work so she was putting in the work she was memorizing not only the Arabic but understanding what she was reading so she knew it almost like the story was being told to her in certain instances or the, or the, or the surah followed um, followed structure for her and that's what made it easier for her to memorize so when we're looking at the way in which she progressed it was slower definitely Definitely, but it was so much more intensive because of the kind of effort that she was putting into it. Alhamdulillah, Allah make it easy for her on her journey. Ameen, Allahumma ameen. Um, and for all of us, uh, for that matter, it could be that we have stopped uh, in our minds. And I'm saying stopped in inverted commas because we haven't stopped learning the Quran. There are moments where you'll catch yourself uh, reciting a few ayah as it's being played on, um, whether it be on, on radio with regards to the Juz day, for example, and you're following along. That is because your mind has learned the matter in which the Prophet ﷺ has taught the Sahaba, which is oratory, right? So through oral, hearing it by by understanding that you are maybe an an audio an audio learner, meaning audio is the what really um, resonates with you, especially with your learning journey, then you have memorized probably Surah Yasin already. I I clearly remember when I was younger. I never needed to learn the 99 names of Allah because it was something that my parents had always read throughout my whole childhood. So by the time I was six and everyone else was learning it, and I was like, but I know this. And that's because you sur- if you're surrounded by it, it becomes, it becomes who you are. It becomes so ingrained within your memory. And that's what we should be doing with our Quran. That's what we should be doing with, this, with the Hadith. We should be surrounding our life with it. The same way the Prophet ﷺ had then um, you know, brought about that type of reinforcement with regards to practicing that which you are learning. Ensuring that you share what you know. And that is something so beautiful that uh, you have to share. You, if you learn something, if you learn an ayah of Quran, that you should be sharing it with others and that is the beauty part of it because sometimes we're scared right we, we really unsure should i i don't have enough knowledge to share something but you do the instruction is clear that islam is 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 made easy for everyone so this is another aspect of how we we learn is that we learn from each other as well it's not that we are only learning from one particular teacher we are learning and teaching others and the more that we teach the better it is because we're solidifying our knowledge allah make it easy for all of us inshallah
Allah. Amin ya Yes, but what about the in-between ages? What about our tweens? And it is. 
right. it's something it's something quite concerning because a lot of the time i remember when we were growing up we were taught there's no such thing as a teenager right from an islamic point of view it is correct it's not saying it's not correct because you are a child and then you're an adult but that phase of where you adjusting to being an adult so which is now we're referring to as our teenagers right that is a very very important time for them to connect themselves with allah and have a better understanding so this is where we should really be doing the most amount of work not letting go of the reins as in such this is where the work starts this is where more love has to be given the most unconditional love because they're going to hate you they're going to fight with you uh, they're going to pick fights for no apparent reason and this is where loads of sabr inshallah we're going to implement that inshallah i mean inshallah i mean so it's not just for the young people but it's for the program includes uh supporting the parents as well am i am i correct in saying that so? yes so inshallah our plan is to be able to give support holistically to both parents as well as as well as their children because this is uh you know once the door is open they feel more uh uh receptive to sharing what's going on with them and um you know the hardest part is when as a parent you only hear about things months later or you hear about your child that was bullied last year I'm like why didn't my child come and tell me so then that's the reflective question that we have to ask why haven't i opened up a space for them that they felt safe enough to tell me was i going to blame them was you know there's lots of things that we have to do we have to hold up the mirror and say i'm just too busy or or there's never been a time or i i don't think i've really sat down and had a proper conversation because as they grow older they now have so much more to say and so much more to speak about and uh, alhamdulillah i'm so grateful for this uh, where my daughter's 13 and i i was really waiting for the time when we could have a bit more grown up conversations and just watching how their mind spools around that and it doesn't have to be so so serious all the time but the way in which they analyze the world subhanallah will blow your mind and i think this is something so beautiful because uh, and i want to sh- i know i'm segueing yeah completely but for example we had a discussion the other day and she and she sits to me she sits staring out the window I'm like what's going on she said i was just thinking about it baby bear from goldilocks and the three bears was the only thing that held the family together and i'm like excuse me well, what do you mean so she says there was three beds mama bear papa bear and baby bear all had a single bed they had a bed of their own which meant that he was the baby bear was the one that was keeping the family together and what a laugh we had about this but i thought at the end of the day um your mind and the way in which you view it is so innocent but at the same time so growing as it are you learning about everything may allah make it easy for us to truly understand our role as parents and to embody the example that they need and be the safe space and the safe haven that they need as well inshallah amen amen ya rab amen an amazing initiative so much needed in our community and society uh, we make dua that allah blesses it with plenty of success beautiful openings lots of amen amen allah amen anytime that you need to share more updates on your project please please know that this space is here for you to come back and to share or to put out what the progress is like and how the program uh, is is coming along that would be beautiful to hear inshallah Amen Allahumma amen I I I definitely value your input as well as the platform uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always grant us success for both of us inshallah and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only grant us goodness inshallah amen Allahumma amen
Amin, Ya Rabb, Amin. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I know it's at the time we're recording this, it is the end of the year and it's a very busy time rounding up, um, you know, work-wise, uh, family-wise, there's so much that needs to be done before the summer holidays truly set in. We're very very grateful for your time today with us and we make dua that in 2024 we get to chat to you more about yeah, topics, topics uh, making uh, meaningful society and yeah uh, inshallah this project of yours is an amazing start to many beautiful initiatives um, where you uh, educate and you advocate for projects that are close to the heart may Allah bless you with good health with happiness with time with energy and fulfill all your jaiz hajat ameen ameen allahumma ameen barakallahu feek assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh on the program today, we are speaking to coach, educator, on-air personality, and student of Deen, Mu'alima Mas'ud Jappi, on the topic of Rasulullah and his teaching methods. And also, Mu'alima told us about this amazing initiative running this year in 2024 um, for parents, for their, their children, learning about holding that safe space for our loved ones. They're no more babies, but they're not adults. They're in between. How do we hold that safe space? And um, it's going to be an amazing project. So please do get in touch with Walima to be part of this project, to have this project brought to your school, your madrasa, your homeschooling center. It is so much needed, and we'd love to have you on board for that. Join us after the break for our last segment of this hour. And today, our focus takes us to the issue of Palestine. It's an issue that will always be there. That's not dependent on what's happening on the ground politically, but it's about how can we be consistent and active in uh, advocating for the liberation of Palestine and Masjid al-Aqsa. More after the break. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah. Before the break, we were hearing from our guest today on the program, Mu'allima Masouda Jafi, on the topic of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his teaching methodologies. SubhanAllah, this is part two of the series, so if you missed the first part, it aired last week and the podcasts can be found, can be located from our website. Our focus now moves to what do we do on a regular basis to sustain the awareness um, and the, the advocacy for a free Palestine uh, and a free Masjid al-Aqsa for us all. Now we know that the digital world has allowed us an um, as an ummah to witness as bystanders from our home the genocide committed against our brothers and sisters in Hazza. As narrated in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was reported to have once said, Whosoever of you sees an evil, let him change it with his hands. Hand. And if he's not able to do so, then let him change it with his tongue. And if he is not able to do so, then with his heart. And that is the weakest of faith. Sahih Muslim. And so we must ask ourselves, what is it that we can do, especially if we do not hold leadership positions? The one thing we can do is to increase the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ensure that we are drawing and finding strength in applying and in understanding and drawing closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's divine attributes, the asma'ul husna. And so if we feel weak, and we need the strength to advocate continuously, we call on Allah al-Qawi, 
If we think that the injustices are too heavy for us to bear, then we call out to Allah, Al-Adl, the most just. If we are unsure how to address this effectively, we call out to Allah, the guide, Al-Hadi. If we need to rest to have the strength to continue, we call out to Allah as the disposer of affairs, Al-Wakil. And so by calling out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in different scenarios, every segment of our lives is inadvertently turned to the remembrance of Allah when working towards ending oppression. The remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what can help us keep going with consistency. The knowledge that we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can help, can see us as bystanders, right, would push us. Uh, to 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 want to grow actively, so that inshallah we are amongst those who are active, and we are not letting this go by, and um, you know just remaining silent or feeling that well we've stood up, we've spoken about Palestine, and that is it. No, but that we continue, and that we continue to advocate for Masjid Al-Aqsa, we we'll continue to advocate. For Palestine, we continue to advocate for Hazrat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among those. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us in this regard. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us so that we are of those that turn to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we are of those on the day of Qiyamah when we are asked, we are able to affirm and say, Ya Allah, within my capability, within my means, I have done what I was able to do. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who play our part as the Ummah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those close to him by means of our love of Palestine. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. This then brings us to the close of this week's edition of the program. And as always, we'd love to hear from you on topics of interest to you, topics or guests that you'd like us to include or resources. Feel free to drop us a message by emailing us, hana at radioislamlive.com. And let us know the topics of the guests you'd like us to feature on our program. That brings us to the close of this week's edition of the program. And we want to thank you for joining us on the program and for being our company on the program today. May it measure heavily in our scale of good deeds. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Until we meet again next week at the same time, Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.